How you doing, everyone? Good. Good evening. Welcome to church. If you don't know me, my name is Beneath Roy. I'm one of the Young Adults coordinators here. How good is it to worship God together in one place? Isn't that just awesome? I always just look forward um, to our time together on Sunday night, just praising our God. Uh, now I'm fingers crossed, hoping that this mic will last me today, because I swear this mic doesn't, doesn't like me. But uh, yeah, look, I'm really keen to get into God's Word together tonight. Um, I hope you are too. Um, let me start with a story. So last year, at the end of the year, I went to a conference that some of you may know is called NTE. So it stands for National Training Event. It's basically ES's national conference. So essentially, university students, Christian university students from all around the country gather in one place, at least they're meant to, gather in one place for training and for fellowship. Uh, of course, last year was COVID, so we had local NTEs. So I went along to South Australia's NTE. And on the first day, I met this guy. Right, and this guy was wearing a Chelsea shirt. Right? Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I am a diehard soccer fan, especially, I mean, Chelsea Football Club is essentially the love of my life, right? Uh, I'm wearing it today, and just, just for a bit of a brag, we won the Champions League this morning, which is a pretty big deal, so come on. Anyway, <laughs> I, I digress, but I love Chelsea, so as you can imagine, I'm really excited by this guy. He's wearing a Chelsea shirt, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to talk to him. So we end up talking, I basically talk his ear off for the next hour about soccer and about Chelsea, and it was awesome. And then two days later, on the third day of conference, I see him again, and he's wearing a Manchester City shirt. Now, for those who don't know, Manchester City is another English soccer team, right? And so I'm thinking, wait, What? You're a Chelsea fan. And so I just run up to him I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I thought you were a Chelsea fan. He says, Vanith, I am a Chelsea fan. I just like Manchester City too. As you can imagine, my respect for him went pretty low, but moving on. <laughs> the conference continued, and a few months later, I saw this guy again at an ES social event. And don't worry, his shirts weren't controversial. But I did notice that his hat was an Arsenal football club hat. <laughs> Three clubs! Who do you support? Do you, do you support Chelsea? Do you support Manchester City? Do you support Arsenal? Oh man, my blood was boiling. I just wanted to run up to him and yell at him saying, just pick a side. Just pick a side. Because, you know what? When you say you go for multiple teams... You're not really a fan, all right? I'm sorry, but you're not really a fan. There's a term for that. It's called a bandwagoner, right? And no one has time for a bandwagoner. No one has respect for a bandwagoner. When a bandwagoner talks, you're just like, yeah, right, buddy. Because let's be real, they just choose the team that they support depending on how they feel or depending on, like, the glory, like, who, who's doing well, right? And this, is, this probably was the case here. Now, I know this is just a really silly il illustration, <laughs> But what's a lot more serious is when it comes to our faith and who we live for. You see, we're in the middle of a spiritual war where both sides are desperately battling for our devotion. And what our natural instinct is and 
what we can't do is just to be on the fence or to support both teams, right? We've got to pick a side. We can't be battling for both teams. And the Bible is pretty consistent with this message. Check out what Jesus says in Matthew 12.30. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever is not with me is against me. Or James says in James chapter 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, the Bible says that if you're on God's side, you can't be on the world's side. And if you're on the world's side, then you can't be on God's side, right? You've got to make a choice. And Paul says it similarly in our passage tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 21, he says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the cup, oh, sorry, the table of demons. So we've got to pick a side. We can't support both teams. And just like with my friend who followed multiple sports teams, soccer teams, people won't take us seriously in our evangelism if we're saying we're on God's side, but our hearts and our lives are actually indicating something else. Or in other words, our mission to save our friends will not be effective when our hearts are set on the world rather than on God. Let me say that again. Our mission to save our friends will be ineffective when our hearts are set on the world rather than on God. I'm keen to get into God's Word with you tonight. Before we do, will you pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for who you are and especially for the blessing of your Word. And we pray, Lord, as we open um, your Word today, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, that you will convict us, Lord, that we can all leave this place, um, not being the same, but that we can be transformed um, by your word, Lord. Um, yeah, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, if you already haven't done so, I want to encourage each and every one of you to get out your Bibles, whether that's a physical copy, whether that's an electronic copy, I want to encourage you to read God's word with me. And on that, I want to encourage you to take out a notebook and take some notes. Not because I have anything amazing to say, but because I truly believe God's Word is worth not just listening to and remembering, but worth applying. And writing notes is going to be a really helpful way to get that into your head and into your heart. So I want to encourage you, get out your, your notebooks and your Bibles and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And read with me from verse 14. And as you do, you'll notice that the passage actually starts with a very special word. Right? Can you help me out? What's the first word of the passage? Therefore. All right, Som, when you see a therefore, what question do you ask? When you see a therefore, you ask, what's the therefore there for? Right? Or in other words, what is the context of this passage? Now, if you're not aware, we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10 
together in a series called Mission Minded. And the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, where, uh, which is a church that he brought up. And he had actually heard all these problems about the Corinthians. And so he addresses certain issues. So the first four chapters, he talks about the, um, the disunity within the church. And then chapters five, and seven, 5 to 7, he talks about sexual immorality going on. But then in chapter 8, Paul first starts introducing this current issue that we're going to be talking about today, which is idolatry. Everyone say idolatry. Now, in particular, the Corinthians' specific issue with idolatry was eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now, hopefully, most of us, if not all of us, um, can't relate to this issue, but I don't want to assume anything, so... If you do struggle with eating meat that has been sacrificed to pagan gods, please chat to one of us young adults leaders. I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. But, well, for most of us, if not all of us, we probably can't really relate to this issue, right? And so maybe you're like me and you're asking yourself the question, how on earth does this have to do with me? Anyone else in that boat? Like when I, when I read this, I'm just like, what? How is that related with me? And we'll get to that. But while one common theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is idolatry, the other common theme is evangelism. So everyone say evangelism. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that though we are free, we should give up our rights for the sake of loving others and to prevent them from stumbling. He then goes on in chapter 9 to say that I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. So the context is all about evangelism, about sharing our faith to those who don't know him. And we heard from Pastor Ollie just a couple of weeks ago, chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, where Paul encouraged us to keep our eyes on the prize. And he emphasizes this need for self-control and discipline. We then heard from Pastor Graham last week about the example of the Israelites and their failure for self-control and all the consequences that arose to. So we, therefore, the, the logic is clear that we need to keep our eyes on the prize and to remain self-controlled and disciplined. And not be like the Israelites who lack self-control. Because, once again, our mission to save our friends will be ineffective if our hearts are set on the world rather than on God. And brothers and sisters, this happens when we engage in idolatry. So that brings us to a really important question What is idolatry? And just to put it simply, idolatry is when we put other things above God. When we put God's creation above Him, Creator. Now, we got to pick a side, right? Are we going to pick God or His creation? And Paul is pretty clear where he stands. In fact, he says in verse 14, My beloved, so out of love, 
flee from idolatry. So why should we flee from idolatry? Well, tonight we're going to learn that we need to flee from idolatry because of the danger of idolatry, because of the distraction of idolatry, and because of the disloyalty of idolatry. So let's start with the first of these. We need to flee from idolatry because of the danger of idolatry. Because idols are not as innocent as they might seem. Now you might remember in chapter 8, Paul goes on to talk about how idols and food sacrificed to idols have no meaning. Right? In chapter 8, Paul says that idols on their own are empty and powerless. As he says in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter, um, verse 4, that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. He then says in verse 8 that food doesn't bring us close to God either, that we are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Well, church, let's skip all the way to chapter 10, verse 18 of our passage tonight. Paul says, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But... The sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. All right, so maybe you're like me, very confused. All of a sudden we were talking, we were talking about idols, now we're talking about demons, like what's happened to the idol, where do these demons come from, so many questions. Well, the point I want you to know is that idols are not as innocent as they might seem. Even though idols themselves might be empty and meaningless, there are actually spiritual forces at work that take advantage of empty idols and take advantage of our worship. Isn't that a crazy thought? To think that spiritual forces like demons possess idols? Why is that so crazy? I actually think that's because we keep forgetting that we're actually in a spiritual battle. That there are actually spiritual forces trying desperately to try and draw us away from God. In fact, I was actually talking to a good friend of mine a couple of years ago from ES, very knowledgeable guy in, um, in, in the Bible, and he actually said something. He said that, Vanith, we're not in a spiritual battle because Jesus has won the victory for us. And I think he was partly right, but he was also partly wrong. Because yes, Jesus has given us victory in our spiritual battle, but his victory is that that is now, but not yet. His victory is now, but not yet. What I mean by that is that Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin. That he has died for us, that penalty is gone. He has also eliminated the power of sin and given us the Holy Spirit that sin is no longer our master. But 
he is yet to deliver us from the presence of sin. Right? There is still sin all around us in our hearts and in the world. And that sin will remain all the way until Jesus comes again. And so his victory over our spiritual battle is both now and not yet. Because there are spiritual forces still active and working in our, in our lives, in our world, that are seeking to draw us away from God. So, so guys, idolatry is serious. It's a lot more serious than we actually give it credit for. So why is Paul calling us to flee from idolatry? Because of the danger of idolatry. So how does this apply to us? Thanks, Alicia, for asking that question. It's a good question. It's be- we, and how can we flee from idolatry? Well, the first way, the first step in fleeing from idolatry is to discern. What are the idols in your life? I think that's a really good question to ask. What are the, what are the idols that I'm worshipping in my life? Like for the Israelites, idolatry often starts with ignorance and supposed innocence because we, while we often see idolatry in others, we fail to see idolatry in ourselves because we are so good at making lies and excuses. But once again, we need to remember that idolatry is serious and there are larger spiritual forces at work. With the, with the Corinthians, they just thought, oh, cool, this is meat, it's able to be eaten, sweet. But actually, they were taking part in something that was far more than just physical. It was spiritual. And so what are the idols in our life? Maybe it's this obsession for high grades and achievement. Maybe it's your career or your occupation. Maybe it's this obsession for wealth. Maybe it's alcohol or a party lifestyle. Maybe it's materialism for gaining things. Maybe it's a relationship or sex. Or maybe it's actually your public image, your desire for acceptance. What is it for you? While these things can be good, there are also blessings that are supposed to point us to God, not from God. These things may be empty and meaningless and transient and temporary, and they might seem innocent, but they can turn into big giants in our lives because the enemy will use these things, these good things, to draw us away from God. So I want to encourage you, if you're writing notes, write this down. I want to encourage you to spend some time this week thinking and praying about what is it that you're worshipping? What is it that is your idol? What is it that is taking up so much of your time, of your thoughts, of your energy, of your devotion? What are the idols in your life? And what are the things in your life that you're allowing our spiritual enemy to come and trap you with? So, 
We've talked about one of the reasons to flee from idolatry is the danger of idolatry. But what happens when you actually get caught in idolatry? Well, another reason we should flee from idolatry is because of the distraction of idolatry. That idols take our allegiance and our devotion away from God. Let's start by looking at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So in these verses, Paul references something that we actually did last week. Who can remember what we did straight after Graham's message? Yell it out. Communion, thank you. Exactly. And Paul shows that communion is actually a beautiful image of unity. And this unity is what God calls us to. This unity is what we receive when we're on God's side. And we see in this passage that God calls us to unity in two different ways. So in verse 16, we see that by participating in the breaking of bread and in the drinking of the cup, we are actually being united in the work of Christ. You might remember from Young Adults Camp at the start of the year, our theme was union with Christ. As we remembered that what's true of Christ is actually true of us when we place our faith in Him. That when we believe in Him, His sinless death and His suffering sacrifice and His glorious resurrection come true of us when we believe. Isn't that awesome? It's kind of like a marriage, right? When you get married, your debts and your wealth become one, right? You get, they're all shared. Just like that, when, when we believe in Jesus and we become his so-called bride, the debt of our sin becomes his. But the abundant wealth and riches of him become ours. So firstly, we're united to Christ, but secondly, we're also united to one another. Verse 17 shows us that just like how we can share the one bread, we are all pieces of the one body. That we are not only just united to Christ, but we're actually united together. That we, though individuals, are actually one big body. We are the church. We are God's family. We are his people. We are his bride. So next time you take communion, I want to encourage you to remind yourself of these truths. That communion actually represents this beautiful image of our union with Christ and our unity with each other. Now that's how it should be, that God calls us to be united with Him when we're on His team. But... So often, our devotion and our allegiance aren't directed towards God, but instead, as we've learned, they go towards idols and therefore demonic forces that try and lure us away from God. See, our hearts become distracted, failing to see 
failing to look and keep our eyes on the prize, but instead we look to the ways of the world. Instead of being united with Christ and becoming participants with Him, that word participants in verse, uh, verse 17 is the word koinonia, which is basically the word for an intimate fellowship. So by partaking in communion, we're actually having intimate fellowship with God, with Jesus. But let's now have another read of verse 20. Paul says, The sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. There's that word again, koinonia. Paul is saying that when we engage in idolatry, we're actually having intimate fellowship. We're uniting with demons. And so that devotion that God calls us to isn't going to God. It's going to demons. So we've got to pick a side, right? What side will you choose? Whom will you pledge your allegiance and devotion? My brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. And he gives us many great blessings that we can enjoy, but the danger is that the enemy can use those great things and use them to lure us in, taking our devotion that was meant for Jesus towards themselves. So why should we flee from idolatry? We should flee from idolatry because of the distraction of idolatry. And how should we flee from idolatry? Well, if the first step was to discern what the idols are in your life, well, the second step is to turn, to turn away. See, the biblical word for turning away is to repent, right? It's a 180-degree turnaround. It's like you're going in the wrong direction, and you have to turn and go in the right direction. And that is what we're called to do with idols. Like Paul says in verse 14, we need to actually flee from idolatry. Not just ignore idolatry, not just resist idolatry, but to actually flee, which means to get as far away from idolatry as possible. It means to run as fast as you can, as far away as you can. It's an active effort, not passive. So I want to encourage you guys, after discerning what your idols are, we need to turn from our idols. And in order to do that, you might need to set some boundaries. If you struggle with an obsession like getting good grades or getting the highest position at your job, maybe you need to set some boundaries and give up some of that time to actually focus on loving and serving others, not yourself. If you struggle with accruing wealth, perhaps you need to give some of that wealth away. Perhaps to the church, to a missionary organization, to a charity that serves and people in need. If you struggle with social media or this public image that you have, maybe you should set some boundaries on your phone to limit how much you spend time 
doing those things like Instagram or Snapchat or whatever you cool kids use nowadays. If you struggle with video games, maybe you need to set some time limits on how much you play video games. If you struggle with pornography or lust, maybe you should download some software to prevent you from going to certain websites. Or if you're in a relationship, to set clear boundaries for, to honor and to respect each other. Like, now, whatever your idol is will determine how you actually flee. But I want to encourage you that you're not, on, you're not in this alone either. Like, as we've read in verse 17, we're actually united together, that we're one body, that we're one family, that your, your burdens become my burdens, and my burdens become yours. So I want to challenge you guys, be bold. Why don't you approach, why don't you approach a close friend and ask them to be keeping you accountable? Or to, to ask them, hey, have you noticed any idols in my life? Because the reality is we all have blind spots. But let's do this journey together. So, so far, the reason we have to flee from idolatry is the danger of idolatry and the distraction of idolatry. Finally, we should flee from idolatry because of the disloyalty of idolatry, right? Because idols make God jealous for our devotion. Read with me from verse 21. Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the the Lord's table and the table of demons. Now get this, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he For you see, our God is a jealous God. He is jealous for our attention and devotion. Exodus 34 is one example when God says to the Israelites, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In fact, Paul himself expresses a very similar kind of divine jealousy for the Corinthians themselves when he writes in a different letter in 2 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a virgin to Christ. So why is God a jealous God? Well, as Paul says, 2 Corinthians 11, we are actually betrothed to Christ. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we've actually made a covenant with Him. And it's a covenant where we promised to give Him our love and our devotion. And see, this is why idolatry is such a problem, because we put other things above God. So we're disloyal in our devotion to him. It's helpful to think of the example of thinking about a marriage, right? So when we accept Jesus, as I said, it's like saying I do in a marriage. Agreeing to a covenant or a promise of giving the other your full and undivided attention. And just like marriage vows where you say in, in sickness and in health and all those things, 
we also enter into a covenant with God where we say to God, we promise to love you and to live for you for all our days. However, while God remains faithful to his covenant, to his side of the covenant, and he forever will be faithful, we are like unfaithful partners who, though we say we're faithful partners, we're actually just sleeping around with other people. And because of his great faithfulness and our unfaithfulness, God is jealous and is yearning for our love because only he deserves our attention. So the third and final reason why we should flee from idolatry is because of the the disloyalty of idolatry. And God, rightly so, becomes jealous for our devotion and our our affection. So how can we flee from idolatry? Well, not only do we need to discern what our idols are, and not only should we turn from our idols, but we should be yearning to give God our devotion. Sorry, not sorry for the, uh, the cringy rhyming. <laughs> right, just like a relationship, we need to yearn to spend time with God. We need to yearn to get to know Him more and more, and we need to yearn to actually give Him our love and our devotion. So my question for you is, are you yearning for God? Are you yearning to spend time with Him regularly, like you would for a partner? Are you yearning to get to know Him more intimately? Are you yearning to pour out your love and your devotion and your praise to Him? And finally, are you yearning to share His name with others? so that his name can go forth into our world and that others can come to know him. Are you yearning for God? Are you still keeping your eyes on the prize or are you distracted with the things around you? So to conclude, Paul has urged us in chapter 9 to keep our eyes on the prize because once again, our hearts, sorry, our mission to save our friends will be ineffective if our hearts are set on the world rather than on God. And this happens when we engage in idolatry. Therefore, Paul says to flee from idolatry, and he gives us three reasons to get as far away from idolatry as you possibly can. So why should we flee from idolatry? But we should flee from idolatry because of the danger of idolatry, because of the distraction of idolatry, and because of our disloyalty to idolatry. We also learned some steps on how we can flee from idolatry. We should discern what idols we have in our hearts. We should turn from our idols. And we should yearn to give God our full an undivided devotion. So why? It's the danger, the distraction, and disloyalty. And the how is to discern, to turn, and to yearn. I wonder, are you struggling with idolatry tonight? 
as you walked into these walls tonight, is your heart burdened? Is your heart wrestling? Wrestling as to who to give your devotion to? I wonder what things you've put in place of God. But I want to encourage you that even in our unfaithfulness, even in our faithlessness, God is still faithful to us. God will always keep his side of the covenant. He will always love us and he, he's calling us to come, to give him our burdens and to give him our devotion. And so if that's you tonight, if you're struggling with whatever idol is going on in your heart, I want to encourage you to come talk to me, come talk to Francis, come talk to Ollie, come talk to a young adult leader or one of our pastors. We want to talk to you. We want to pray for you. Let's do this together. But for now, will you pray with me? God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love and of grace and of mercy. Thank you that you are a God who is so rich in love that you would send your son, Jesus, who would take all of our sins and shame upon himself. Thank you that through him, Lord, that you have given us victory over us, our spiritual enemies. And Lord, we know that this, this victory isn't complete yet, that there is still spiritual forces that are pulling us in, trying to take us away from you and to, to gain um, our devotion, Lord. And that we pray, Lord, that you help us to look to you. Help us discern what, what things are going on in our hearts. Help us to turn away from those things and look to you, Lord, to, to yearn to give our devotion and our love to you. And I pray by your Spirit, will you help us by giving us victory over these battles. Help us to share our burdens with one another, Lord. And help us to build our lives, not on the ways of this world, but on you. So that as we share your name with others, Lord, people can see not only through our words, but through our deeds, that we love you. And that they have every reason to love you too. We thank you for who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and let's continue to sing.